is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskabalsian. Welcome to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, Episode 2. My name is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. Thank you for joining us. I've known our guest, Charlie Gindel, from Renewal by Anderson of Orange County for almost 20 years. Charlie is an entrepreneur who really embodies the spirit of the wealthy contractor. In this episode, he opens up about what it takes to run a successful home improvement business, how to make plans for your future, create objectives and budgets, measure goals, and how to make a lot of money in your home improvement business without being a slave to it. I always say Charlie is one of the smartest people you will find in this business. So listen closely because the information he shares can be transformative for your business and your life. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Brian. Nice to be here. So one of the things that really stands out when I think about you is just what an amazing planner you are. You plan, you budget, you have always seem to have clear objectives, a plan for executing on those, and a budget for each year. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Tell me what your motivation behind that is. Sure, Brian. Well, it wasn't always that way, let me be honest with you. Uh, I started in business in 1984, and uh, and uh, my real goal or motivation there was to keep my head above water and to, you know, to be able to provide a living for my family and uh, sell a job today so I could install it tomorrow and then sell another job the next day. And and quite frankly, for the first 10 or 11 years that I was in business, I worked really hard to become a, a good contractor. And I think I was a good contractor. I uh, I did quality work and satisfied my customers and uh, took care of my employees and took care of my suppliers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I was not making a heck of a lot of money and I was working really hard and uh, and I had an awakening. I had a life-changing event happen to me in December of 1995 and I went to a seminar that was... Uh, regarding business planning and running your business by the numbers and running your business with a business plan. And I was very intrigued by what I would learn there. But when I got there and I started to hear these gentlemen speak about running your business by the numbers and and having budgets and having financial statements and uh, and having goals that you strive, strive to achieve each year, I, I felt overwhelmed. I felt incompetent. I felt humiliated. I just felt very inadequate, and uh, and I almost felt embarrassed. And uh, I don't know that anybody else in the room knew how I felt, but internally I felt that way. And I just said, "Oh, this something's got to change." And uh, the, the, that was an awakening for me. And I I realized at that point in time that I had worked hard to become a good contractor, but I was not a not a very good businessman. Uh, I didn't run my business by the numbers. I didn't have my fingers on the numbers. I didn't have monthly profit loss statements. I, I, and basically, 
to sum it up, I think every year on January 2nd, I showed up saying I was going to work harder and smarter this year than I did last year, and hopefully something good was ha- would happen. And a lot of times it did, but you know, I was more like a ball in a, in a pinball machine bouncing around off the flippers and the bumpers, and I didn't really have someone else had control of me, and I didn't really have control of myself or my business. So from that standpoint and from that point of humiliation and uh, and feeling of inadequacy, I, I became, be, became bound and determined that I would never again feel that way or never again be in that in that situation. And, and so I started basically, uh, number one, building a budget, building a, a pro forma budget for the coming year and forecasting revenue, forecasting expenses, uh, you know, direct costs of jobs as well as overhead and build a month by month budget. And then I started to, you know, do income statements each and every month, comparing what we actually had done to what we thought we would do or what we budgeted and seeing the differences. And when you do that, you begin to learn an awful lot about your business and an awful lot about your thought processes and it helps you get things in alignment and correct things. The other thing that I did at that point in time was for the first time, I really felt I had a plan. I had objectives and goals that had been established now for that new year. And I felt it was very important that instead of keeping internal to myself, that I share that with my team. So for the first time uh, ever in January of 1996, we had a company meeting with all of our employees there. And I stood up in front of them and, and laid out the company's plan, you know, the vision that I had as the owner, the plan, the goals that we had in the coming year. And, and shared it with everybody. And that was a big turning point. That was a big awakening because now it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily just my plan. It was our plan. And, uh, and some people, some key people got invested in it and started to get their heads around it. And, uh, and that really made a big difference. And then the next big thing beyond that was having a monthly, which we didn't do for a year or two, but then we eventually started that. And this is the other key component was having a monthly meeting where, uh, unlike the kickoff meeting where we lay the plan out and the goals and the dreams and aspirations, now the monthly meeting is a meeting where we report back on our stat, on our progress during the prior month to achieving our goal and achieving our plans. And uh, that really builds accountability, number one, for me to be able to stand up there in front of the team members and report the results, good, bad, or indifferent, and to let everybody know how we're doing. And, I mean, many times we expect our employees to just read our minds, I think, you know, and figure out what's going on. And uh, and most people operate under the premise no news is good news. So if you're not telling them things negatively, they sometimes are telling them really what's going on. They may tend to think things are better than they really are. So, uh, so they're the key ingredients is, is doing the planning, the budgeting, uh, getting your team uh, motivated and turned it, tuned into what you're trying to do, and then reporting back to them each and every uh, each and every month as the results. And that's so that's what motivates me. That kind of is what pulls it all together. And we've been doing that now for 20 years. And I can't begin to tell you, you know, the incredible difference that it's made in my business and in my life. And having a having a written business plan and having your whole team 
uh, tuned into what it is and turned on to trying to accomplish it. I, I guess my question to you is, why don't more business owners come up with their plan, come up with their budget for the year? Well, I mean, that's a good question, and, and, and I think, you know, and from having now taught this process to hundreds of contractors across the country, I think that most of us, you know, just we operate under, you know, the premise that, uh, you know, we think good thoughts and, you know, we have these thoughts and dreams and aspirations and and we think that just thinking about them will make them come true and it certainly is not a bad thing to think positive thoughts and think about them, but but we don't really break them down. So I learned a long time ago that goals that are not in writing are only dreams and hopes and aspirations. So in order for a goal to be real, it has to be written down. It has to, and there's something magical about when it goes through your brain and goes down your arm and comes out through the ink on a pen on a piece of paper, or when you sit at a keyboard and, and type it into a into a Word document or Excel spreadsheet, the thought process and all that, there's something transformative that happens when you do that. So, you know, instead of walking around with a lot of hope, good hopes and intentions, uh, there's a big difference between doing that. And why, why do people not do it? Well, a lot of them don't do it because they don't know how to do it. That's probably the biggest thing. There's not too many places you can go and learn this process. You can learn, certainly learn through trial and error. Uh, but that's a long, painful, you know, way to get, go about it. So there's not a whole lot of places where you can go and learn this. And uh, so most people don't even know how to do it. I mean, if you work for some big uh, corporation, you might be involved in budgeting and initiative setting for your department or your division. But to do it for a, 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 a small home improvement contracting company is, is rather rare. And some people set the goals, you know, they'll set we want to sell X dollars or install X dollars next year, but they don't really have the plan underneath it. The goal is what we want to do. The plan is how we're going to do it. And a lot of people just don't just don't have that. And they don't have the wherewithal to, and, and don't know how to do it. So that's why I think most people don't do it. So they show up on January 2nd with good intentions and they're going to work harder and smarter and then, then whatever happens, happens, you know, and before you know it, you know, the business is running them and they're not running the business. Yeah. You know, I think what you just I, I think what you just said is is so important because I just I think about myself. You know, I show up sometimes and I just say, Okay, I'm just gonna work a little bit harder. I'm just gonna work a little bit longer. And um it, it's not the answer. It's rarely the answer. So so let's talk a little bit about the process. Now, obviously, there is a whole process, and I think why don't we give a plug to the organization that you teach this through and that initially taught it to you, which is a great organization called Certified Contractors Network. But right. let's I've, talk a little – go ahead. Well, I've been a member of Certified Contractors Network for 16, 17 years now, but actually – I didn't learn this process through them. I learned it from some other people, and I actually, oh, okay. I actually took this process to CCN and uh, and through the original founder Richard Kaler. Uh, you know, he thought, well, and the story was, I mean, I joined CCN in about 2000, and CCN was a group is a group of great con- home improvement remodeling contractors from all over the country, and 
I was the new guy on the block back in 2000. And so after a year or two of membership, uh, you know, and going to conferences, one day Richard pulled me aside and said, you know, Charlie, your your business is different than a lot of the other businesses at CCN. We, you know, we see your people come to the meetings. We see, we we hear the things they say, see, uh, say and the, the way they act, and the, and then we see what you say and do, and it's just different. And and what do you attribute that to? And and I said, well, I attribute it to the fact that we have a culture in our business of of business planning. And I told Richard the story of how I got involved in it. And uh, so we talked some more and he ultimately said, you know, I think that's one of the, you know, there's not too many things that CCN doesn't offer, but I think that's something that CCN needs to offer to its members. So we talked about it and kind of developed a program around it and started teaching it, I think, in about 2000 and one or 2002 and been you know it's been on an ongoing program and it's transformed i mean there's hundreds of companies that have gone through the process yeah some come back year after year and it's really transformed their businesses yes i mean we're we're recording this in november and so we've got a new year um coming up on us very quickly how do you get started and then how do you determine what your goals are for next year to really start out you kind of got to have a handle on where you're at so you you got you have to know what your current sales are what your current revenue is which is the work you're installing on a on a month by month year by year basis you kind of got to need you need to know what your direct costs of those jobs that you sell are, so you know what your material and labor and other direct costs are, so you can figure out what your gross profit is. And then you need to start looking at your overhead, and there's two types of overhead. There's fixed overhead, uh, which might be you know the rent on a building or some other a fixed salary of a of a staff member, or whatever. And then there's variable overhead, and variable overhead is overhead that varies as the volume of the business goes up or down. And you know, I mean, you can there's all kind of ways to do it, but the simplest thing is just build an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, that kind of has all the different expense categories in there. And we, we suggest that people break their overhead into three categories. One would be field overhead, which would be, uh, you know, installation managers, equipment, trucks, uh, uniforms, uh, things re- related to overhead that uh, supports the actual production part of your company. Then sales and marketing overhead, so this would be all your advertising and marketing and sales management and things like that. And then the third one would be your G&A, your general administrative costs. This is offices, office equipment, uh, insurances, you know, liability insurance, uh, uh, things of that nature, and, and just paper clips and legal fees and you know, accounting and just all, all the all the general administrative costs and and just what you do is you kind of start to dissect your business and you look at what expenses you have in those categories for the past year and then you begin to forecast what you think they'll be for the coming year. So that's that's the budgeting part of it. The goal setting part of it is, you know, once you get a handle on where your business is at, you know. Uh, instead of just letting it do organically whatever it's going to do in the next year, you set goals and uh, you know and, and the goal should always be an increase in business and I 
I like to recommend a minimum of about 12 to 15% increase in business. Uh, you know, so you set your revenue goals and you set your sales goals for that 10, 12, 15, 18, 20% increase. I mean, it should be realistic, but it also shouldn't be something you can just do automatically or happen organically. It should be something, something that you have to direct your effort to work at. And if you're going to increase your business by 15%, uh, then you got to look at the lead generation side of it, how you're going to spend your marketing dollars. <clears throat> you got to look at your staffing side of it. Are you going to have the right staff administratively and and uh, on the production side and sales end to run those extra appointments. And you just go through all of those thought processes. And, and I mean, I could talk for hours about that. Well, but This episode is brought to you by Business Success Consulting Group. Does the way your business currently operate prevent you from scaling and growing? Is the most valuable knowledge in your organization held by just a handful of key personnel? Are you spending valuable time training your teams instead of running your business? Business Success Consulting Group understands the challenges of organizing while you grow, and they specialize in putting order into the chaos of an expanding organization. Adi and her team at BSCG work closely with you and your team to capture vital business knowledge, and then they help you develop, document, optimize, and implement systems and processes across every area of your organization, from sales and operations to marketing, human resources, and business development. Adi and her team have decades of experience and will help you empower your teams to function effectively with reproducible results that will set your business up for continual success and expansion. Schedule your free consultation today by calling or texting 503-662-2911. Charlie, I was going to say that sounds like a lot of work. Well, it, it, it's a lot of work. I mean, it, I guess it depends on your perspective. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you look at your business as, you know, if you look at your business as how it is important to you personally and to your, your family and your future and how important it is to all the, the team members that are on your team that are really counting on you to know what you're doing and making the right decisions, yeah, it's a lot of work, but, but it's also a lot of work not to do it and, and just, just cast your fortunes to whatever happens. How close do you come to your profit goal numbers? Uh, generally, in the last few years, we've been exceeding them. You know, I mean, okay. because uh, you know, I mean, in, in the early years, I mean, we weren't coming close at all. But the, when you get started on this process, the beauty is when you don't come close, you, then you can analyze why you didn't, where where you're what you forecast it was wrong, what assumptions you made which were invalid. And it's a constant refining process. And after you do this on an ongoing basis and you really become a student of it, I mean, it's addictive and you, and you don't want to do it. You couldn't imagine doing it any other way. And when you start to realize that you could really get your handle around the cost structure of your business and the profitability of your business, then it gives you the courage to an excitement to want to ratchet the thing up 
And because, you know, I mean, if, if, if you can see yourself making more money and you feel like you got some control over how that happens, why wouldn't you want to do it? And why wouldn't you want to do it, continue to do it better and bigger each and every year? So that leads us to what I call forced growth. In other words, we, 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 by our goal setting and, and our budgeting and our, and our setting of objectives and initiatives, it kind of forces us to grow and it forces all the people on your team to grow and it forces them to think new thoughts and do things differently and think outside the box. And the sum total of that done on a consistent basis is pretty incredible and pretty dynamic. And, and, and you get, most people get most of the time you get total buy-in. I mean, you got to guide people. You just can't let them figure it out on their own. You kind of got to guide them, but it creates a pretty dynamic organization. Yeah, and it's a pretty exciting place to get up and come to work to every day. When you're looking at the plan for next year, do you start with the bottom line number or the top line number? Because really, at the end of the day, isn't it all about the profit number? It cer- certainly it is. It, it certainly is. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, people get enamored with revenue and how much business, how many sales they made, or how much revenue they brought in, and not to minimize the importance of that. That's extremely important. But at the end of the day, it's it's about how much you get to keep, you know, and 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 and, uh, and how much you get to share. And uh, so, is I that mean, a good place to start? Yeah, I mean, I I heard a long time ago that you know these businesses, the owners, you know, on, on, depending upon the size, if you're in a couple million dollar range, the owners should be making ten percent, and there should be a ten percent bottom line after all the expenses are paid. I mean, I don't know who came up with that. I heard it made sense at the time. I certainly wasn't making ten percent of the revenue, and we weren't making ten percent to the bottom line, but that became a goal to strive for. I mean, now we go way beyond that. I mean, now we're now we're operating at you know probably a fifteen percent bottom line, and uh, you know, and my staff is well paid, and, and I'm well paid. So, uh, but I, and so that I mean, is well, and I was going to say, and that's all a factor also of getting your uh, margin numbers right, understanding what your expenses are, what your overhead is, what it actually right. costs you to put people out in the field and to run leads and to make sales. Right. The biggest thing from working with hundreds of companies in CCN, the biggest thing that I've seen is most people are not charging enough for the work that they do. I see that uh, too. I mean, they, you know, they don't, but there's no, where do you go? No one, there's no book you open or, you know, there's no school you go to where they tell you. So, and and most people have this, uh, you know, this uh, fear that if my price is too high, I won't sell a job and a competitor will get it. Or there's this belief that in our market, the going rate is X dollars per square foot or lineal foot or per United inch or whatever. And that if I, my prices are not in line with that, I can't succeed and I won't succeed. And, and that becomes obviously a self-fulfilling prophecy. The reality of it is there is no guy in that market that sets the price. We, we you know, we, we, we set our own limitations with uh, the thoughts that go on between our two ears. And, uh, and so it's a very dangerous thing. So the reality, and I, I became the 
did a realization about, uh, well, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 years ago that that uh, I was never going to be able to be the low price leader in my marketplace. And, and, and if you try to get into that business, you, you know, it's a race to zero. Right. And there's always someone willing to go out of business faster than you are. So, uh, you know, so <laughs> that's a good way to real, put it. Yeah, Say that again. Position, well, there's always someone It's a race to zero and there's always someone who's willing to go out of business faster than you are. And, uh, you know, don't be, you know, so to everybody listening, don't be that guy. Yeah, I mean, if you try to, to the bottom. Even if you try to be that guy, there's somebody else that's going to beat you out out of it. So you can't right. succeed, and you can never succeed. But a lot of a lot of a lot of bodies get left along the way, and, and employees, and customers, and suppliers. So the real place, you know, that I want to operate in, and I think that most companies should operate, in, is trying to be the the uh, premium provider by providing. You know, a quality product, quality installation, but also you got to charge the right price. And I mean, I heard a guy years ago at a seminar and he was contractors and he said, how many of your customers have all the work that you installed for them last year? Or how many of them have all the roofs or the siding jobs or the window jobs or the decks or kitchens, whatever? And everybody raised their hand. And then he said, how many of you have all the money that you made on those jobs last year? And nobody raised their hand. And he said, so who got the better deal? So the reality of it is, though, if that customer that we did a job for last year has a problem, guess what? They're going to pick us up and they're going to pick up the phone and call us and expect us to stand behind the problem, you know, take care of the problem. So the reality of it is uh, that, to survive in this business and succeed over long term, you can't be the low price leader. You got to charge a premium price and provide a premium product and a premium service, and and that's the only way you're really going to make money at this over the long haul. I mean, you can do some things short term, but but long term that that will never succeed. Yeah, yeah, and and your business is a perfect example of that. I mean, you said 1984. You started right, right. Yeah, thirty-two years, and and yep. you know. So, we have listeners that are probably at all stages of of growth. Uh, you've got companies that are under a million dollars. You've got companies that are million plus, and and what we find is that the business kind of breaks into a few different categories in terms of volume and what are the things that have to be done in order to go to that next level of volume. So from under a million to get to over a million, there are a certain set of of things that need to be done in order to get that business over a million. And then the next one is a million up to about two and a half-ish, then two and a half to five is another leap, and then five to ten, and then ten plus. So can you can you give us a few of your best tips or advice about let's say the person that wants to go from a million to that next level that two two and a half million what are the things that that person has to do in order to get to that next level? Right. Well, uh, first of all, if we're being honest with ourselves, the barriers to entry into this, these businesses are very low. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is uh, 
someone who knows how to sell something or someone who knows how to install something, as Michael Gerber says, they can have their entrepreneurial seizure and then they can make the fatal assumption that run that that knowing the technical business knowing the technical business or oh, technical work of a business is the same as running a business that does technical work. He talks about that in his book The E Myth. Mm-hmm. And so so someone has their entrepreneurial seizure and and they were working for their father or their uncle, or they're working for someone else, and and they say, I, I can be doing this for myself. And next thing you know, they're in business for themselves, and that that's typically how it happens. Some some variable or derivative of that 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 explanation. So now they're in business, and uh, you know they're very enthusiastic, and and they're doing what they love to do, uh, which is sell something or install something or a combination of the two, and. Uh, and they have their own sphere of influence. First of all, you know, usually the person is selling every job, so he's meeting each customer. Uh, he's talking to the neighbors. Uh, you know, he's out there on the installation, either doing the installation or talking to the neighbors while the installers are installing it. And and you know, he's got friends from church and PTA and little league, and you know, so he's friends, friends and family. So it's very easy through referrals and, and that kind of building networking to, you know, to sustain yourself on a small scale and to get your business up to maybe, you know, do an eight, nine hundred thousand, a million, million, two, million, three, just depends on the market and the product. But, but that's, you know, it's not easy. I shouldn't say it's easy, but, but it, but that's typically how it happens. And, but at some point, most companies like that will hit what I call a glass ceiling, and I call it a glass ceiling because it's glass, and when you look up, you don't realize because it's glass, you see through it, but you don't realize that that glass ceiling is holding you back. And generally, that happens to be the fact that that type of word-of-mouth marketing and referrals and things like that that just happen organically kind of limits how far you can go. And... uh so at some point you start you need to start to market market your business and market your business is more than you know buying an ad in a little league program or you know on the back of a church flyer or something it, it's it's having a marketing program where you have a brand identity you have logos you have color uh, identity and then you start to put a message out there through direct mail through certainly through websites and internet. Uh, through uh, newspaper, eventually involving perhaps in the organic marketing or, or electronic marketing, uh, television and radio, but it, it's making that leap. And, and most people before that leap have had a very low marketing cost, if any, because it just the business comes to them organically and there's not a whole lot of cost associated with it. So therefore, in their pricing, they don't have a structure that really has any significant marketing dollars built into it. So it's the old story, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? So do you make the money and then spend it on marketing or do you spend the marketing money in, in, in hopes that you that you know the, the leads will come? So the reality of it is you gotta get a become a marketer, you gotta have a marketing mentality and you gotta start to spend money to generate additional lead flow. Also, those small businesses generally, like I said, the owner is is doing all or most of the sales. So at some point when you make that leap into a couple million dollar range or more per year, 
the owner can't do it all, so you got to hire a salesperson or two, and then you got to be able to generate leads on a consistent basis for those sales reps, uh, or you know, or your investment in them is going to go away. So that that's the probably the breaking through that glass ceiling and then becoming a marketer and generating leads and spending money and then you know looking at your return on investment and constantly tweaking your marketing message and and your the different media you're using becomes the next big plateau and for people that can't get beyond that they stay at that small level for people that can break through that and start to figure it out that's when they'll start to get up in the 2 3 million dollar range you basically go from being a contractor to a sales and marketing company. Exactly. Marketing has to become something you think about on a daily basis versus, you know, prior to then it generally is a thought that you don't even think of your company as being a marketing company. Yeah, you're getting leads in from various organic sources, but you're not really, there's no conscious effort to make it happen day in and day out. Right. So what about that next kind of leap? So now you've got you've got three, four salespeople, you're doing a couple million bucks, and what do you now have to do in order to go to that $5 million mark, let's say? Well, th- this is when it's really critical that you understand your numbers because if you don't understand your numbers and know what your gross profit is and know what your overhead is, even though you're growing and, and the cash flow, the, the additional cash flow that comes with growth can be very deceptive because there's more money coming in. There's a little more money in the bank uh, than there was previously probably. But but if you don't understand your overhead costs and you don't understand your marketing costs and you don't understand your gross profit, it's very easy to all of a sudden wake up one day and really be in trouble because you're not charging the right price and and you're you know you're you're trading dollars and there's not really you know which it's if you're trading dollars at least you're paying your bills but you're not dropping anything to the bottom line but a lot of people aren't even trading dollars they're actually you know taking in less than it's coming uh they're they're taking in less than it's going out but it's you know there's a slight difference and don't realize that but the cumulative effect can be can be dangerous uh right. so uh, you got to really know your numbers at that point. You got to be doing uh, uh, ongoing. You know, you got to be doing monthly income statements, and you got to really become a master of your numbers. Uh, you got to get control of your sales force because now, if you've got two or three salespeople, someone you or someone needs to be managing them, holding them accountable. You need to have metrics for your sales force. You need to be looking at close rates and average sale and revenue per appointment and and then rather than what happens typically is we just give the sales rep leads and then whatever happens, happens. We're not really managing them. We're not setting some minimum standards for their performance. Uh, so that's that's critical. Uh, now we start to build in a little bit of an office staff. Uh, so we got to have some systems and processes because before it might have been us or our wife handling all the details. Now we got to delegate that. We got to have some some systemized processes and, and checks and balances. Uh, and at the same time, we're growing on the production end, and we got to maintain the quality on the production end, whether we do it in, with in-house employees or we do it with outside subcontractors, we got to maintain the quality of the of the product and installation that we're delivering to the customer. So 
it requires the owner then to start wearing new hats and different hats and maybe unfamiliar hats and and that that can be a challenge if the if the owner can't make that transition from you know being the the sole sales rep or being the production person or and you know doing the banking and meeting and touching every customer now you got to start to build a culture and you got to transfer that to people and you got to set expectations and then at the end of the day you got to be able to inspect what you expect to make sure that you know, you're performing at the same level. Otherwise, something's going to go backwards, and it can have disastrous effects. Right. And then I, I guess then the next level, you know, now that you've, you've got that in place, now the next kind of leap is to that $10 million mark, which now <coughs> the business looks very different at, yeah, not, at that level. Yeah. Yeah, now you're doing you know three quarters of a million, eight hundred thousand a month. Uh, typically, you know, there's going to be depending upon the market you're in, the product you sell. There's going to be some seasonality to the business, but now you got to have you know a full-on marketing effort to generate you know a couple hundred appointments a month. Uh, you know, you got to even manage your sales force that much. Uh, better, you gotta, you know, probably at that point you need a sales manager, a full-time dedicated person to manage the sales force. Uh, again, knowing your numbers, your business becomes even more critical as the business grows. Uh, you might need a, a full-time in-house bookkeeper. Uh, you might need an outside CPA to, uh, you know, get some advice from. But I, I want to say this that. No matter what type of bookkeeper or CPA or whatever you have, no one should know the numbers of the business better than the owner. That that's imperative. When when we delegate that to a bookkeeper, so bookkeepers just assemble the numbers. They they record yeah. the information, but it's up to the owner to d- dive in and know the numbers of the business, inside out, upside down, and and. And be able to challenge the bookkeeper, you know, when when something doesn't look right. I mean, at the end of the day, we're the one that's ult- that is ultimately responsible. We can't delegate that to someone else. So we can have someone, you know, assembling the numbers and doing the reports for us. But it's up to us to to thoroughly understand it, to inspect it, to make sure that it's it, it's, it's correct, and we thoroughly understand it. Uh, and then on the production end, now you're growing, and again, it's, it's very important that you maintain the culture and you maintain the quality. And 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 now, as the owner, you're touching very few people. Uh, you know, you you might talk to customers on the phone every now and then. Uh, you might actually go to a job site every now and then, but you know, you're you're much more removed from the customer, and you're depending upon your team and your staff to touch the customer and and make it a great experience for the customer. So it becomes that much more important that you, you know, attract and hire the right people and build the right culture and have the right people in the in the right positions within your company. And also, when you don't, to exit those people very quickly because it can have disastrous effects if you don't. Right. It's all about this. Yeah. It's all about building that team. At that point, it becomes yeah, it becomes very people critical yeah. at that point. Charlie, when going from one level to the next, do you do you do that only relying on cash flow to fuel that growth, or is it okay to take on debt? 
Well, I mean, I think it's okay to take on debt, uh, but the, the ultimately way you want to finance the business is through retained earnings. In other words, you know, so that means you're profitable, and that means that you know the profits are some of the profits are being distributed to the owner or ownership of the business, but a certain percentage of it is being retained. Uh, and if it's done well, I mean, you can do it with little or no debt. But you know, occasionally, yeah, it might make sense to to borrow money. Uh, to finance something, but again, that's where it really comes down to knowing the numbers in your business. And uh, if if you just borrow money and you don't really account for it and, and really don't have a plan for how you're going to grow the business, then it can again be very disastrous. You know, I mean, you get a little flush with cash because you got some loans or you know you borrowed some money, and then all of a sudden that money can evaporate overnight, and then then now now you're really in a start in a downward spiral and that can right. be disastrous. So, so, I mean, the best way is to, you know, and, and here's another little bit of word of advice I would say to anybody is that before you grow your company, I mean, if you're not, if you're doing a million dollars or $2 million or $3 million and you're not profitable, don't think you're going to get profitable by growing it another right. half million or in other words, if you grow a broken model, you're just going to have a bigger, more broken model. So make money no matter what level you're at. Fix what's wrong. Get your your head and arms around the numbers of your business and get profitable at that level before you begin to go to the next level. I can't emphasize that enough. And And, and the quickest way to do that for most companies is to – is, is to address the problem we talked about earlier, which is you're not charging enough for the products and services that you're offering now, and you're not profitable. So the the quickest fix to this is to raise your selling price right. and believe that that's the right price. The hell with what other people in the market are charging. Offer an exceptional experience to your customers. Uh, follow up like you know with customers like no one's ever seen follow up before. Just just become the very very best at at what you're doing, and and then charge the right price for it. And typically that may mean, I mean some companies it's going to literally mean a twenty thirty percent price increase, mm-hmm. probably not a five percent price increase. And and that that can blow up some people's heads when they <laughs> first hear that. But the reality of it is you'll lose some business. You will definitely lose some jobs that that won't pay that higher price. But that's okay. You don't want those jobs anyway. Get the ones that were willing to pay you that price, and it's okay to do fewer jobs and make more money than it is to do more jobs and make less money. Uh, it's be big acknowledge advice. the fact that acknowledge the fact that people not everybody's going to want to do business with you at that level. Now the other thing is you got to control the controllables. So you got to control your attitude. You got to control your sales process. You got to control. Uh, the value that you build in whatever product or service you're offering on each and every appointment. So maybe the way you've been selling up till now has gotten you where you've gotten, but now to go to another level, you might have to revamp and refocus on your whole sales methodology. And and if it's just the owner selling, on a, it's hard, kind of hard for the owner because he already thinks he knows all the answers and does it the right way to begin with. But it, it really takes being honest and open with yourself and willing to make those changes. Wow. 
So I told everybody at the beginning that, uh, you know, one of the things I always say about Charlie is he's one of the smartest entrepreneurs I've ever met in my life. And uh, you just got a ton of advice. I'm not even going to ask you any more questions because there was so much meat in in, <laughs> in your answers. Uh, we could dissect uh, we could dissect this interview for uh, for quite some time. So I hope that I hope that everybody got a ton of value out of this. This is one you want to listen to more than once. Um, I, let me let me just close out by asking uh, by asking you what are I I know that. Uh, you're your reader um like I am and like the other wealthy contractors I know what are your your top 3 books that you would recommend uh good to great by jim collins i would recommend that i mean it's a great book it talks you know it talks about he did a whole research project on how companies go from good to great and there's so many learning lessons and metaphors in there the other one, a great book, is uh, Michael Gerber Emeth. Yeah, okay. I mean that's everybody. And, and actually, Gerber wrote that, and then he wrote a follow-up book called The Emeth for Contractors, with because so much of what he said in the Emeth registered with small businesses, but really contractors. Then he wrote a, a little more customized version for. But I would definitely, you know, and and I, on both. Good to Great and the E-Myth, I would recommend buying the audio tapes because both Gerber and Jim Collins deliver it themselves. And so because they own the material and they're so passionate about it that I think you get an extra you get extra flavor than if you just read the book itself. So the, those are two of the most uh, – uh, and I think the third one that also is very impactful to me is uh, – Jim Collins, and it's called Built to Last. Mm. And uh, it's, again, it was a, a research project into companies that are enduringly great. Uh, and he establishes the criteria of how they evaluate that in, in the beginning of the book. But what are the common denominators of companies that are enduringly great? Uh, you know, so if we, if, so I would read the, the sequence would be read E Myth. Real, read good to great, and then read built to last in that order. And I mean, they're very dynamic. And I mean, there's, look, there's hundreds of books out there, but those are three that I think uh, really made an impact on me. Well, Charlie, I can't thank you enough. Um, as always, I've uh, I've learned a ton from you, and um, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the Wealthy Contractor podcast, and. Uh, for those of you listening, if you liked this episode, please go and uh, review our episode. Share this with, uh, with your friends and colleagues. And until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing for the Wealthy Contractor Podcast.